0: If you listened to our last show featuring Rob Bohax of Clin1, you know that clinical trials are critical in testing and proving medications among certain populations. But when a trial is targeted to a specific population, there's a lot of room for bias in the data. In fact, most trial participants tend to skew white and male. To be truly representative, many trials enroll thousands of patients in dozens of countries over a period of years in order to test and prove the safety and efficacy of a product. Not only is that a massively time- and money-intensive endeavor, but could also cause life-saving therapies to take years to reach the patients they could be helping. What if there was a way to accomplish the same result in a matter of months? Hello, and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast about all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Carolyn McGill, the CEO of ATION, That's A-E-T-I-O-N for those of you who get distracted until you can see a new name spelled out in your head. The Aetion Evidence Platform is focused on patient outcomes, the most important driver in a value-based system. In the past few months, Aetion has made news by forming a global partnership with Sanofi and by adding former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb to its board. Take a listen as Carolyn and I go behind the scenes at a company that's making real-world evidence, well real in a big way. Carolyn, thanks so much for being with us on Datapoint today.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, Greg.
0: I am uh, excited to introduce ATON to our listeners. Um, this is a group of folks that are, are pretty senior in the healthcare space, um, but I think the field that you're working in Uh, is such a new, uh, but yet such an important one. Uh, I think everybody has something to learn. And I think um, the way I'd love to get us started, Carolyn, is if you wouldn't mind, let's talk a little bit about you and who you are, where you came from, and what are some of the things that led you to take the helm at Etienne?
1: Absolutely. So I have spent the last 20 years or so in healthcare, primarily thinking about how we pay for care. So, the first half of that, I was with United Health Group and primarily focused on Medicare and Medicaid populations. So, inherent in supporting those groups of people who are over the age of 65, who have multiple chronic illnesses, who have limited incomes, it's a conundrum about sharing limited resources with a broad swath of people who have a lot of needs. So it teaches you to be judicious and to try to get very thoughtful about who has what needs and how best to support them at specific points in time. Now, over time, I realized that as a payer, there's only so much you can do to affect change. And you're not always viewed as everybody's favorite problem solver.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> That's uh, to to uh, be kind, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So I had the opportunity to join Evelyn Health, which is a population health management company. And the idea behind Evelyn was that we'll create solutions on behalf of health systems and push that out across payers. Mm-hmm. And this really resonated with me because some of the things that I had tried to do when I was on the payer side of the table Related to helping physicians appreciate that when they're seeing someone who has five or more chronic illnesses, even though some, that patient may have come into them with a specific ask around flu symptoms, mm-hmm. it's necessary to take into account that they have COPD, as, uh, sorry, uh, lung disease, and mm-hmm. also heart failure. And in so doing, treat them holistically with respect to some of the things that they're dealing with and not necessarily the narrow reason that they maybe have come in to see you. And the challenge that a physician has is that I would come in as a payer and say, and by the way, I want you to document this way. And by the way, we'll pay you in these ways to support the ways in which we think you should be engaging with these more clinically complex subsets of the population and other payers were coming in and saying, Well, we want you to report data this way. And we want yeah. you to think about supporting our, our members these ways. And as a provider, you think, You know what? I just want to practice the best medicine. So the idea behind Evelyn was let's create a solution on behalf of health systems that makes sense, given the way that they've grown up, the infrastructure that they've created, maybe the way that they've acquired different entities, as an example. And then push that out across payers because that's what we believe, you know, is the best approach. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I loved it. The challenge working on behalf of health systems is that they too can be constrained on the resources and levers that they can bring to bear to solving the challenges. And that's ultimately what got me to a place where we need to use data and technology more wisely to ensure that we're getting truly impactful, truly helpful information to caregivers and others who are supporting patients at the right point in time. And The current focus that I have is on medications Mm -hmm. and how we ensure that we appreciate which medications are appropriate, and then we are sharing that information with those who are delivering care in a comprehensive and timely way.
0: So let me pull on a thread here, if I may, Carolyn. You mentioned your work uh, with Medicare and Medicaid populations, and these are populations that, you know, as you said, ha- tend to have more complex health conditions. Um, they also probably, well, not probably, they are definitely underserved in the system. What are some of the things that Ation's work is doing that could be beneficial to those populations that typically aren't? necessarily first on our list when we think about, you know, testing a new product or or bringing something new to the market?
1: So let me back up and share what Ation does. Mm. We are a digital health company with a platform that uses epidemiology to assess safety, effectiveness, and value of clinical treatments. What this means <laughs> is that we effectively use Uh, statistical methods to figure out the causal linkages between a given clinical intervention and subsets of the population that it may affect. And our primary focus at this point is on medications because there is so much broken about our knowledge around which medications are appropriate for whom and when. Sure. The primary ways that we approve medications worldwide are through Randomized controlled trials, which are RCTs, we call them, which are uh, very effective ways to measure the impact of a given drug on a population relative to a control group. And the nice thing about that is that coming in, you don't have to have hypotheses about what you'll see in the different populations. You let mm. the experiences speak for themselves. In Ation's world, we're saying, geez, we have a lot of data about how populations respond in what we call the real world, which simply means once a medication is out of that controlled setting, once it's on Mm. the market, what are our daily experiences with it, and that we should be using that data to inform what we know about how well a drug works and whether it's safe. And the reason this is important is that clinical trials tend to not include broad swaths of the population. By their very nature, they need to be Mm -hmm. somewhat targeted. So we find that they skew in their enrollment towards white males, (laughs) um, towards ages uh, that aren't necessarily broadly uh, representative of where we might see different results. So people over the age of 65, people with different combinations of chronic illnesses, women of childbearing age, kids under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. We don't have great information as a drug comes to market necessarily about how these medications work for those patient populations. And that's where we can use data and analytics to get a much better sense and then use that to make decisions about maybe a secondary indication, as an example, where a drug mm-hmm. is actually appropriate for a population more broader than it was initially approved for, like ibrants for male breast cancer, as an example. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a safety question, where we just saw Thoringer Ingelheim do a multi-year Study that spanned over 40 countries and involved thousands of patients to demonstrate the safety associated with a cardiovascular outcomes trial. Well, researchers used our platform to do that same study in a matter of months. Wow. And it didn't mean that you had to follow people up to the tunes of tens of hundreds of millions of dollars. So, these are the kinds of things that we think we can do with data and analytics that ultimately. Will support patients in getting access to the right medications when they need them.
0: And what you're describing makes sense. Being as big as a clinical trial might be, and they could be anywhere from you know dozens to hundreds to you know in this case even thousands of patients, it rarely can stack up against the literally millions of patients who are being treated every day for various conditions. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of data ATON typically works with, where it comes from, what kind of mechanisms you've developed for integrating data sets. I'm curious about sort of the the data back end of the business that allows these kind of um, insights to be developed.
1: Happy to. And I'll I'll back up by saying that we are not a data aggregator. Mm -hmm. We have fashioned our platform to be fluent across data sets. Because one thing that is super important to us and to the scientists who founded ATON out of Harvard Medical School is that we choose data that are fit for the purpose of the research question we're trying to answer. And as an aside, you can see responses that regulatory bodies have shared recently when they have not accepted real-world data or real-world evidence as part of their decisions. Oftentimes, it relates to that data being fit for purpose. So we work across data sources. And what we find is that in today's world, there are many insights we can unlock from claims data, from Mm -hmm. electronic health record data, from patient registries, especially important as we think about rare disease. Sure. Over time, though, Greg, we'll get much more robust in the ways that we integrate novel data sources. So we talk about social media, socioeconomic data, maybe my credit history has Mm -hmm. a good predictor on my adherence as an example. Then there are questions about genomics data and how we start to take that into account. So there are many more data types that we're thinking about in today's world, though, I want to make sure we're not missing the boat on what's literally at our fingertips today, because right. there is so much we can get, as uninteresting as it might sound, from things like billing data, and we should absolutely be farming that and mining it for as much as we can get in the interim as we become more sophisticated about those other kinds of data sources. And one thing to appreciate also about ATN's focus is that we index on regulatory grade, decision grade. How can we be sure that there's the right level of replicability and transparency in how we've come up with those insights.
0: Sure. That so there's a, regulatory not a body or black others, box.
1: Exactly. You can make a decision and people can poke holes. You can use our platform to say, awesome, you did this data study. It makes a lot of sense to us. But what if I change the date range? What <laughs> right. if I include other diagnosis codes? Does everything fall apart? And those are some of the concerns that you may have heard Ray, uh, been raised from others who have expressed criticism or concerns about using real world evidence. Mm-hmm. And so our idea is, well, let's create a platform that enables you to test that. And if you have doubts, then then let's, let's look at it. And where it's a no brainer, let's use it. And then where maybe there is still fuzziness, or we need to use it more to supplement a clinical trial than to replace as an example, then let's mm-hmm. do that too.
0: All right. So, we're going to take a quick break. You have given us a lot of potential topics to pick up when we come back. Stick around. We're going to be right back with Carolyn McGill. Welcome back to Datapoint. I'm your host, Greg Matthews. Our guest today is Carolyn McGill, the Chief Executive Officer of Ateon. Carolyn, when we went into the break, you were alluding to something really interesting, which is that Ateon's platform allows for a tremendous amount of transparency into the process um, with the goal of making that real world evidence uh, more usable, that people can place more confidence in it, that there's not a black box somewhere um, that's you know, ma- manipulating things behind the scenes. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of that? I know that the randomly controlled trial is sort of the gold standard and always has been uh, in medicine. Talk a little bit about what transparency means in the context of really reshaping, you know, the value that exists within real world data.
1: Absolutely. So for us, when we think about transparency, we consider the ways in which we're Assessing the data and we use measures to do that So our platform has a library of measures and then we collaborate with our clients to create measures that are appropriate for The diseases that they're studying or the data sources that we have available and I'll give you an example of time Mm -hmm. we ask a question like I want to know the number of people that have been on this medication for three months or longer.
0: Okay.
1: When do I consider that they started that drug? Is it the day the script was written? Is it the day the script was filled? Do I only count that they are taking the drug if they refill it 30 days later? Mm. What if they refill it 40 days later? Is that lapse okay, or does it restart the clock? Another great example relates more to controlling for what we call confounding variables. Consider that I want to understand the costs associated with taking drug A versus drug B. Mm -hmm. And I see that people start taking a drug on April 1st, and some people have inpatient hospitalizations on April 2nd does that get attributed to the fact that they took that drug? Wow. Or not? And when we start making these assumptions across tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of lives, you can imagine that you could come up with dramatically different assessments Mm -hmm. about safety, effectiveness, and value of taking drug A versus taking drug B. And that's why we believe that systematic way of structuring these studies. And then at the end of every study you create on our platform, the platform automatically generates a Word document that lists for you all the assumptions that you've just made. That's what we mean by transparency. Now, there is one other thing I want to add is that when we think about our studies, oftentimes you come into those studies with a hypothesis to test. Mm -hmm. And there's so much we can learn from having a hypothesis and testing it. So that's, it's awesome and it can have a tremendous impact. Our ways of thinking about data and our accessibility to data have grown in such exciting ways that we can also let the data speak for itself and tell us about patterns that maybe we've never even contemplated before. And that's mm. where things like artificial intelligence come in what we have found is that some of our clients are actually using our platform to validate what they're seeing with artificial intelligence. So use AI to create your hypothesis and then use this scientific, transparent, replicable method to test it. And I think that's a way that we'll then gain more confidence with some of the other advances in the kinds of data we can take into account and the methodological tools we assess it with.
0: That is really exciting. And it's honestly, I, I think yeah, being a person that has worked extensively with data over the last several years, one of the really daunting things about being able to do what you describe in terms of letting the data speak in terms of the patterns that it yields that you know may or may not be visible if you come into it with the blinders that a hypothesis can create, it can be tough to do that simply because of the you know, the processing power required, the time required, the resources required. And it sounds as though with the platform that you've built, you're able to get around some of those issues. I mean, clearly the data sets that you're looking at can be in many cases massive.
1: And it's a huge thing that we're focused on. Uh, And we have Shamelessly borrowed from other tech advances, or I should say, tech advances in other industries, financial services, in retail, even. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's so much out there, and we absolutely want to bring those techniques and the best thinking into the ways in which we're evaluating these data sources.
0: Fantastic. Well, I know we've we've gotten to hear a little bit about ATN and sort of the principles behind it. I'm curious to understand a little bit more about your customers. You know, we've talked about the pharmaceutical companies, for example, that are leveraging real-world evidence. Um, we've talked about the payers. One of the things that we discussed off mic was that you're actually able to work with both of those parties in some circumstances and that really uh made my eyebrows raise. <laughs> this is an audio medium you can't see them raising but I can, <laughs> trust me they're raising how, how does that work typically the manufacturer and the payer have a, at best uh, a uh, call it a mutual distrust um tell me about what what it's like to bring those groups together and what can what can be the benefits of doing
1: so this is my favorite part about being at Etienne, and it's actually the thing that I probably care most about for the rest of my career, mm-hmm. is helping people who have disparate perspectives speak a common language. And I feel like I've approached this from the payer angle. And by the way, when I was at the payer, you know, I worked initially for a segment of United Health Group called EverCare. Mm -hmm. And our model was putting nurse practitioners in nursing homes to provide better care to people in place, especially vulnerable people who shouldn't be moved to an emergency room because they have a urinary tract infection, as an example. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that I was working for a health insurance company. So think about all those perceptions you have about payers in your head. And I would put the geriatricians and the nurse practitioners I worked with, in company of anybody in the history of this world who prioritized care for vulnerable patients and i was yep. at a pair right yep. people don't see that side of things and then i went over and worked for health systems and you have people saying right i you know love my physician but i hated that experience when they made me wait mm. or I had to share my information 15 different times when I was bouncing between specialists and my primary care, and wasn't that frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so it's also easy to malign those experiences. And then, of course, drug companies are getting much scrutiny over the rising cost of drugs mm-hmm. and whether they are being selfish or unilateral in their vision in terms of setting pricing. And then that's what patients feel when they go to fill a prescription at the pharmacy. So you can see where all different kinds of stakeholders across the system can contribute to the malaise that many of us feel when we experience healthcare. care. Sure. What I have found at Ateon is that we can change the way we have a conversation about recognizing whether... What I'm paying for is actually working for the person who, for whom it was intended. hmm we're doing this through data and science. So, you know, I have worked on value-based care contracts back when I was part of United. I was managing a Medicaid health plan in New Jersey and mm-hmm. we were looking at risk-based contracts with federally qualified health centers as an example. Then I was over at Evalent Health where we're helping health systems take on risk. So connect with payers in different ways. And maybe it's upside only, upside downside, and then on up to maybe full capitation and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, maybe even launching their own health plans in some instances. Sure. And what I found in those experiences is that the agreements fall apart when one party has to share savings with the other. Interesting. We go back to the measures and we say, I never agreed to that measure. That measure isn't representative of what really happened. And by the way, my patient population is riskier than, or more clinically complex than what You're demonstrating here. Mm. And what ATON does is ground in science, how we're creating these measures. And we've had to take this path where we had to prove our mettle in the pharma world with pharmacoepidemiologists who've been doing these kinds of studies for decades. Yeah. And once we were able to get credibility there, we can take our learnings to health insurance companies, to payers who are looking to do formulary optimization and pointing out to them things like, geez, you're running a Medicare special needs plan for people with multiple chronic illnesses. They were excluded from this clinical trial, you know, for diabetes drug as an example. So wow. don't you want to see what you're leaving on the table? Yesterday, in fact, I was in a meeting with a payer, a large national actually, and a, and a top 20 um, biopharma manufacturer, mm-hmm. helping them look at real world evidence to say this medication is actually most appropriate for this subset of your patient population and look at the impact it has on the quality of their outcomes and their total cost of care. So let's structure an agreement so that we're paying differently or we have a prior authorization that reflects that Mm -hmm. people who meet this profile should get immediate access to this medication.
0: Even if that medication is more expensive technically. Yes.
1: Yes, in mm. fact, we've had other work with payers where that has been the result of our analyses and it's super illuminating. Maybe investing more in a medication for a subset of the population that hasn't been responding to other drugs makes sense so that, that we can support them faster.
0: That is absolutely fascinating and honestly, the kind of transparency that you're <laughs> describing again, you know, I was uh, I was unclear as to the value of transparency in your work, but that's another place where when you're so clear about the measurements and the assumptions that are going into the study, if you're able to be that clear and both sides can see the benefits and you know, know that they're going to be represented, at least in a way that they understand, what a difference that makes in terms of their ability to interact together on a, on a level playing
1: field. Exactly. And then by the way, feel free to poke holes. And because we have a platform that can do these analyses quite quickly, you can change the parameters and see the impact so that, that what was driving your skepticism can be tested. And that's a way that we can breed trust between these organizations that maybe historically have been looking at things in different ways.
0: Fantastic. Well, I want to close with one final question, if I could here, Carolyn, and that is, You've had some, as I mentioned, some really big news recently. Uh, Scott Gottlieb has joined your board. You've made a couple of really significant senior hires within the last couple of weeks. It feels as though Ation is sort of a rocket ship getting ready to take <laughs> off. Uh, can you tell us anything about you know what we should expect in the in the next twelve to eighteen months? I know that uh, there are going to be confidential things that we can't talk about, but you know, where, where's your vision? Where do you where where do you see all this going?
1: Yes. So one of the things we're most passionate about relates to establishing global standards for transforming real-world data into decision-grade real-world evidence. And you will see a fair amount of movement in that regard. So our partnership Mm. with Friends of Cancer Research and with ISPOR is an example, and ICP, there are other organizations that are out there, uh, the EMA, the FDA regulatory bodies in Asia and elsewhere, you'll start to see them embrace RWE in their decision-making and you'll start to see more clarity about what makes for sufficient RWE to support those decisions. And you'll see our role in that, which we're very excited about driving forward. And the other thing you'll see is much more traction in the ways that we just talked about bringing together different stakeholders. So being at that nexus of conversation between biopharma manufacturers, payers, large employers, Mm -hmm. at-risk providers in speaking a common language and using RWE and their most impactful decisions about understanding how much we should pay for a medication, how well it works for whom and when.
0: That is so exciting. I can't wait to see how this all plays out, Carolyn. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you being a guest here on the show. I am gonna be posting in our show page, we'll have some notes that include links to Ation's website, a few other helpful resources. Um, but Carolyn, I just want to thank you on behalf of all our listeners for being a guest on Data Point today.
1: Craig, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.